Dr. Jay Ligon Duncan is our guest on the program today. Dr. Duncan, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Mike, thank you so much for the invitation. It's a delight to be here with you. What do you think uh, is the greatest, um, shall we say, the greatest challenge uh, facing, the greatest issue facing the church today? I know that's kind of broad, but I wanted to see what your response was to that. Well, I, I actually think that question, uh, if, if, if one is strictly asking what is the greatest challenge, there's probably a different answer to that question for Christians in different parts of the world and in different situations. I, I'll say, in order to give you a definite answer that I think probably factors in the top five just about everywhere, uh, I would say that the greatest problem is worldliness. Mm. That is, that the church is like the world. The church too much follows the world. The members of the church, uh, professing believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, are themselves in their lives too much conformed to this world, and they've not been transformed by the renewing of their minds, as the Apostle Paul speaks in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I think that that blunts our evangelistic witness to this world, because the world looks at us and says, you're no different from us. True. What do you have to say to us that we need to hear? True. I, I was thinking also about uh, this uh, this blurring of the true meaning of the gospel, um, this uh, seemingly lack of discernment when it comes to what is the gospel, the assault on the gospel itself. I think that's a very important point. It's something that I've been speaking and writing about. Um, and I, I think where that comes is that that blurring has typically come not so much from the people in the pews as it has come from influential teachers in the church who have led to a confusion in the church and in the pews as to the nature of the gospel. And so certainly in evangelicalism in the last 25 years, we have seen uh, very definite signs of confusion about what the gospel itself is. What do you attribute that to, Dr. Duncan? Why is there such this uh, tremendous confusion over something that, uh, that you, that I, uh, would agree is so obvious, so easy to understand? I think there are a lot of answers to that question. I think one answer is that we live in an anti-doctrinal age. And by that, I mean that we have not only church members, but ministers that are allergic to thinking in theological categories. And so they don't want to define things. They like to use slogans, but they don't want the, the content of those slogans to be defined. And uh, the Lord Jesus Christ made it clear to us that truth does matter and that if the gospel is truth, then it has definite, definable content. And so I think the spirit of the age is against us on that count. I think, on the other hand, that within evangelicalism in the last 50 years, we have seen a definite doctrinal downgrade, which has led people to try and reduce more and more the positive content of what we mean by the gospel. You, you made a, a comment there, allergic to theology. Boy, that really strikes home, and I'm, I'm probably going to have to put that on a card somewhere. <laughs> there, that, but that is so true. It is almost like it is a, uh, uh, an illness, a disease of some sort, that uh, someone needs to be uh, uh, vaccinated. So many seem to be allergic, have this, uh, um, I don't know how to explain it. They're, they just turn off to theology anything of doctrine. It's like it's a dirty word. 
Well, and we've you know this is a trend that actually has been developing in the in the English speaking world for two centuries. When Schleiermacher and at the turn of the nineteenth century attempted to appeal to the cultured elites in Germany, he did so saying, you know, forget Christian doctrine. the The important thing in Christianity is right feelings. And in that sense, he became the father of both modern liberalism and much of modern evangelicalism, which reduces Christianity to feelings or emotions or uh, states of experience. And though for all Christians, experience is important, the experience of the presence of the living God in the time of need, the experience of the love of God in Jesus Christ saving us from sins. Those those things are very important. We don't belittle them at all, but that's not all that Christianity is. Christianity consists of doctrine, it consists of a way of life, and it consists of authentic religious experience. And those things can't be played off against one another, but that's precisely what's happening in our day and time. Uh, before we get to uh, some of the other issues we're talking about here, I, I, I know several people, many people who are blessed uh, and interested in the relationship that you have with uh, Albert Moeller, Mark Dever, and C.J. Mahaney. How did the four of you come to know one another, and, and the, how unique is that, that friendship? In a human sense, Mark Dever uh, is the answer to that question. Uh, I, I grew up in the Presbyterian Church, but my mother uh, had been uh, for many, many years uh, a Southern Baptist, born into a Southern Baptist home, and uh, went educated at Southern Baptist institutions. And so I have always grown up around... Southern Baptist friends and Southern Baptist friends in ministry and have had a, a just a deep heart of appreciation for brave, Bible-believing, uh, Christ-exalting, gospel-preaching Southern Baptists, and especially as we have seen the, the revolution that has occurred in the Southern Baptist Convention. And so, consequently, I, I knew a lot of solid guys within uh, Baptist circles from the time I was in high school and in college, and it was it was important to me. I wanted as a Presbyterian to encourage and support them in, in the important work of, of, of becoming uh, more biblical as a denomination and as mm-hmm. uh, local churches. Well, while I was in, in uh, Britain studying, a friend of mine who was in Cambridge, England, said, I want you to meet Mark Dever. And uh, I met Mark, and... Uh, just immediately had a deep uh, Christian love for him, and he taught me so much about prayer. I love the fact that this was a man that loved truth and was at the same time excellent and zealous for personal evangelism. Right. And Mark introduced me to Al Moeller. I had already been reading Al's articles in the Christian Index, the State Baptist Paper in Georgia, but didn't know him personally. Mark introduced me to Al, and then Mark introduced me to C.J., who was at that time the pastor of the Covenant Life Church in Gaithersburg, Maryland. And so uh, Mark has somewhat been the glue that pulled this particular group of friends together. But we we all just have an instinctive love for one another, appreciation for our our stand in the gospel, and uh, want to encourage the work that God has called each of us to do. I know the the programs that the four of you have done together on uh, Dr. Mueller's program, uh, are, are just very, very encouraging. In fact, I have downloaded them, and I keep them in my library in my study at home, if for nothing else than, than to hear you uh, you guys correct Dr. Moeller on correct website addresses and things like that. I, I think it's hilarious because he keeps getting it wrong, and somebody in the back will say, that's .org, .org. What, uh, let, let's talk just for a little bit about similarities. Uh, 
you know, I am a student of history, theology. I, I love to study, but when I go back and I read uh, comments like John Knox, give me Scotland or I'll perish, mm. when we read quotes like from Spurgeon that we open the program with, uh, they just bless my soul and, 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 and lift me up tremendously. But Mark Dever made the comments uh, several weeks ago, what we're facing today, what the church faces today is, is nothing new. Spurgeon and Knox and Calvin and, and all of those great saints uh, face the same thing. You agree? Absolutely. In fact, we can take it even further back than that, can't mm-hmm. we? The, the situation that we find ourselves in today is more like the situation that the New Testament church was birthed in than any time in the last 2,000 years. And that should be encouraging to us because it's frustrating sometimes for Bible-believing Christians to face the kind of relativism and pluralism and syncretism and pervasive spirituality, but unfortunately the spirituality is idolatry, and it's uh, that we see in this sort of pagan world that we live in, and yet it's exactly the same kind of circumstance that the Lord Jesus Christ came into and that the Apostle Paul preached in and that John preached and wrote in. And that should encourage us that those Christians were faithful to bear testimony to the truth of God's Word and of the gospel of grace, and God, by the power of his Spirit, caused the church to grow and to prevail, even in that crazy culture. The growing thing right now, of course, as you know probably better than I, is is, is the uh, move toward the user-friendly, the seeker-sensitive, the watering down of the gospel, different terms that are used. Um, I, I've asked several people, you know, at one point I felt like that was sweeping the country like a wildfire, do you do you think that the uh, that those movements, those philosophies, those methods, however you want to describe it, have as much um, uh, power behind them as they did say five years ago? Or are we seeing a change? There is a sense in which they are being philosophically critiqued by a younger generation of ministers who think that they are doing the exact opposite of those methods, but very often are in fact just taking them to a different permutation. I, I think, uh, Mike, that as long as our culture is dominated by a consumer mindset, that that consumer mindset is going to be a danger in the churches. And all the seeker-sensitive movement is, is just the attempt to utilize a consumer mindset to grow the church. And I think that, in fact, that consumerism is one of the greatest enemies to real Christianity and to healthy local church life. And so I'm afraid that that problem, even as the seeker-sensitive movement dies down as the latest new thing or the latest new fad, uh, I think that problem of consumerism is going to continue to dog us. How does the emerging or the emergent church play into that? Is that yeah, I mean, I, I, th- that's what I was sort of alluding to. Yeah. I think the emerging church kids, and I, and I say kids because most of them are, are, right. are youngish, even though some of their leaders are older than I am, um, th- those, they, they think that they are doing the exact opposite of the seeker-sensitive uh, crowd and are oftentimes speak very derisively of the, of the seeker-sensitive movement. But in fact, in about 60% of what they're doing, they're simply uh, doing the same thing in a different form. And, uh, and I don't think they realize how, uh, how uh, acculturated they are. And what, what we really need is a... I think all of us recognize that American Christianity definitely needs to be recast, and the life of the local church definitely needs to be recast. But what we need is not people that are thinking about recasting that in a particular cultural form. We need an army of pastors that are wanting to recast that in a biblical form. That is, we want to go back and ask the question, how does the Bible tell us how to do church? 
what are the principles of church life that the Bible gives us? And I think until we start asking that question, we're we're just going to continue spinning our wheels. About a minute or so left here, Dr. Duncan. What what ultimately and simplistically, I'm going to ask this question, can we do um, to... to Get out of this rut to uh, to to bring forth the truth to wake people up to open their eyes to those who feel like we must water down the gospel to attract people because when they accept us they're going to accept Jesus. I think there are a lot of answers to that question, mm-hmm. and there's also no answer to that question. Right. Uh, there's a sense in which nothing can wake us up but the Spirit of God Himself, and mm-hmm. so those of us who who do recognize that we need to be awakened pray fervently that God in his spirit would come down and wake us from our slumbers and he would do a great thing. Now, uh, that having been said, humanly speaking, I do think it's important for us to go back and say, uh, what does the Bible tell me about what the church is going to be like? That's the most important question, not, you know, how does the culture inform what my church is supposed to be like, but what does the Bible tell me? Secondly, we need to go back and say, what can we learn from church history? from the mistakes of our forebears in precisely this area. And if we would be good students of church history, we would be mu- we would be very leery of a lot of bad stuff that's going on out there. I, I agree 100%. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Knox, Calvin, Spurgeon, uh, uh, so, so many uh, uh, that have, uh, if we just go back and, and, and reflect and uh, uh, study what they all went through, uh, we could learn so, so much. Uh, Again, Dr. Duncan, thank you so much. This has truly been an honor. This will be a program that I uh, keep a copy of for myself and put in my library. I hope to meet you again soon, sir. I hope to see you, too, and God bless you in your work, Mike. Well, God has blessed me in so many, many ways, and one of the ways is to have the opportunity to talk with men like R.C. Sproul and Ligon Duncan, Mark Dever, John MacArthur, Albert Moeller, Zola Levitt, uh, D. James Kenny, on and on and on. And as we leave you, we always do with Romans one sixteen, where the Apostle Paul wrote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to all those who believe, to the Jew first and also the Greek. God bless you. I'm Mike Corley. We'll see you next time. We did